Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. Oh, I know. Multitasking. (laughs) It drives my family crazy. NSL Double Talk, featuring Kim Koretsky and Jenna Boer. Their topic today is leadership and work culture. Kim is the founder and CEO of KHK Leadership and Learning. She has spent over 15 years in leadership and professional development roles at Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase and built and led the Global Advisor Development Group within the Asset Management Division at J.P. Morgan. She is certified in the Hogan and Interpersonal Leadership Styles Personality Assessments. Kim graduated from Amherst College and received her MBA from Columbia Business School and earned her MBE from the University of Pennsylvania. Jenna is a strategic culture consultant and entrepreneur with eight years of experience on Wall Street and an MS in mental health counseling. Jenna also specializes in change management with a focus on guiding leadership through mergers and acquisition events, layoffs, scandals, liquidations, and general culture change. Jenna is a TEDx speaker and has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Inc., and several other publications. We are so excited to welcome Kim and Jenna to NSL Double Talk. Hey, Kim. Hi, Jenna. How's it going? It's great. How are you? Let's do this, right? Yes. (laughs) So Kim and I both come from similar backgrounds from banking, and we both are into culture work and developing leaders. So tell me, like, what is your view of leadership and how does that impact your work? Well, I think leadership is super important. It's one of those things that is thought about by most people, both people running companies and people working at companies. And it's something that in this generation, I feel like the younger, more um, millennial type leaders care more about. When I was growing up in the financial services world, it felt a little bit like leadership was like a soft skill, but now it's a must-have skill and it's a skill that will be something that you need to grow your company. And people looking to join companies care about what kind of professional development and leadership development they're going to get. So for someone like me and, and you, it's probably pretty good, pretty good time to be doing this work. We are highly employed, aren't exactly. we? Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's fingers crossed. <laughs> There's so many bad leaders out there. Like We can talk about that for a little bit. What are, what's a good leader and what's a bad leader? Well, I think good leaders have integrity. They're honest. They lead by example. Mm-hmm. They empower others. They really want to position their teams to take on as much as they can, but they are doing it in the in a safe environment. So failing in a safe environment, knowing that you're learning from your mistakes, always having their teams back. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. And they're obviously credible in whatever it is they've grown up in and how they've had whatever experience they've had, they're, they're bringing on to the next generation. And so they're courageous, they take risks, but they're really someone that can be relied on and is uh, is responsible. Yeah, no, I like what you said as far as like having each, having their team's backs and caring for other people. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that I think is a huge differentiator between one leader and another leader yeah. because at the end of the day, people can say whatever they want. It's all represented by their behaviors, how they show up at work. Exactly. So I feel like the part that really separates one leader from another is this like me mindset versus mm-hmm. others. So I feel like when I look at leaders, especially nowadays, 
people who operate with a lens of the world that's very me-oriented, like I'm looking out for my career, I'm going to do what's best and serves my interests, even if they can say, I care about my team, I care about my company, like you could just sniff it out that's who right. are those leaders or alleged leaders versus really leaders that use their like political capital for their teams. Like they are looking out for the best interests of the the company and their department and their people. And those are the people that are inspiring. And that's just how they walk in the world. Like that is a personality trait that probably stemmed from when they were little. And I think that that me mindset versus others mindset is a huge differentiator. I totally agree. And you know it when you see it, right? And you feel from when, you know, I've had bosses along the way where you know they're looking out for themselves first and foremost and you feel it as an employee. And are you going to be loyal to that person? Probably not. And as a leader, you grow into what kind of people do I want to follow me? What do I have to do to prove to them that I am worthy of being followed? And I think that knowing that you will always have their back and you will always feel what you're doing is right for the the collective team, not just yourself, is so important. And it's it's something that I think comes out and it's innate, as you said, like probably from their childhood, right? You always, you have that um, self-protective mechanism and as a leader, you kind of have to give that up and it, to be, put yourself out there, be vulnerable with everyone else. And that's how you engender trust and engender um, followership. Yeah, what do you think of, this is something that's coming up a lot more often for me, is like being on brand all the time. So in the age of social media, we have CEOs, CMOs, COs, everyone basically with Instagram, with Snapchat. Like how do you feel leader shows up when they're not in the office? Well, I think it's so important that they're a leader at all times. At the firm I worked at, you say you don't work here, you are the company and you represent the company at all times, whether you're on the premise or outside and your actions speak louder than words. And so, especially as the younger generation of leaders are using social media, it is so important that you're having these (laughs) real conversations and also leading by example, right? right? You have to be careful. And, you know, I say this to everyone that I work with, but like what you put on LinkedIn or Facebook, or I guess they're not using Facebook anymore, but whatever the you know social media du jour is, it's discoverable by the Wall Street for Journal. For sure, like for sure, ten years from now, right? And like employees make up their minds on their leader based on what they see in the real world, like how or this isn't the real world. Instagram's not the real world, but <laughs> how a person projects themselves on social is. media. I know yeah. I've had these awkward conversations with even CEOs that are in their. 30s, 40s, and even 50s. It's like, I have access to your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Clean it up. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, this is we have freedom of speech, but freedom of speech for you comes at a cost. And people are Absolutely. deciding their views on you based on what you put out there. Yeah. So I think that this is another important and more relevant aspect of leadership that's coming, mm-hmm. um, that's even more relevant in today's age is you have to be on brand all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a sacrifice. You can't hide. And that's a burden too. Totally. It's a burden on leaders and they, it's a big responsibility. I think more so now than ever, probably. For sure. The other thing that I wanted to chat a little bit about is around humility of a leader. Why is that important? Or what about that is important, do you think? think? Yeah, I mean, I think just being a humble person is one of the best qualities you you can have. And, you know, having a leader that is always looking to continue to learn and learn from their peers, from the people that are more experienced than them and from people who are less experienced, from junior employees, right? In this day and age, they have a lot to learn from people that are younger than us. And so having that 
real sort of authentic and genuine desire for feedback and actually the ability to act on the feedback goes a long way in leadership, right? People want to know you're being asked. I think one of the best things that I was ever asked from my manager is, you know, what can I be doing to help you? And I often right. give this advice to leaders and when they're asking for feedback, well, what can I, what would be helpful? What can I be doing more of? And actually caring what they say and, and using it and, and changing behavior. It's so funny you say this. It's it's a lot on self-awareness. Absolutely. So I had to do this study for school. It was so annoying, but it was great. On observations of leaders as far as what makes a good leader and what makes a not-so-good leader, but based on employees' experiences of their managers. And one of the biggest things that came back is this like strong self-awareness. And if you have that self-awareness, like you're really in touch with how you show up and how people receive you, and you make those adjustments along the way to serve your people. It's really just not about you. I think that's what we're trying to say. Like, get over yourself. It's not about you. Absolutely. And self-awareness, I think, is one of those things that we talk about a lot. And people ask, can you teach it? And I'm actually not sure. Do you think you can teach self-awareness? Oh, that's a good question. No. (laughs) I think you can make people aware of what they need to do to be more self-aware, but I'm not sure if you can actually teach someone to be more self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't think so. I feel like it's a personality trait. Mm -hmm. And usually like traits that's rooted in personality are stable over time. So if you have the ability to be introspective and really look into yourself and decide like, what do I need to grow in and improve? Like you're someone who's a bit more secure than maybe the average person in themselves, which is another quality that's really important as a leader is confidence, not only in who you are, but just knowing that like you're human, you're going to make mistakes and like you need to grow. You are not perfect. No one is. Right. And the vulnerability part of humility and leadership. I mean, Brene Brown does it perfect, you know, a great whole book and talk on this, but really the ability to be vulnerable takes a whole lot of confidence. And if you're not an inherently a confident person, can you still be a good leader? I think, yes, you just have to work harder at it. Yeah. Where do you feel people get stuck? In leadership, being a good yeah, leader? Yeah, I think a lot of what I work with with people is they are kind of at the point where they've gotten really far in their careers or really, you know, they are real experts in whatever it is they do, but they can't get themselves out of the weeds. And so yeah. they have a hard time setting strategic direction and priorities and vision and then communicating that to their team. So they are really good because they know the data and they know it incredibly well, but they can't get themselves kind of out of their own way and communicated in an articulate, succinct way. And so I think sometimes emerging leaders have a hard time becoming the like go-to leader because they are still seen as the data person in there. And I think perception and reality here is really important, right? If you're perceived as somebody that's going to be in the weeds and you can't communicate it at a high enough level, then the perception is you're not ready to be that leader. What you're describing is very like cerebral kind of leader, right? Versus a very much a heart-centered person who values connection with their people kind of leader, which is fine. The thing that I see, especially when we get to the culture and transformation, is like at the end of the day, like people don't get motivated by cognition, right? right? They, They are motivated by beliefs. It's all about feelings. And that's something that a lot of leaders are afraid of. (laughs) They don't want to talk about people's feelings. They don't want to motivate based on feelings. I brought this book actually in my bag because I've read it like maybe 500 times. It's um, a book by John Cotter, Heart of Change. Mm -hmm. And what he talks about is that a lot of leaders, when they look to like motivate their people, it follows this 
wacky framework that most of us probably follow, analysis, think, change. Mm-hmm. So they'll present all this analysis as to like, hey, we are going in the dumps unless we like get our act together, <laughs> which is motivating only to the extent that it catalyzes fear or maybe excitement in a way or passion, but it's not enough to just throw a bunch of data on a slide and say like, now I need you to do something differently. I need you to show up differently at work. And that's something that I feel like leaders actually really mess up mm-hmm. is they do this whole like think type of framework and appeal to people's brains, which is probably like a normal way to think about it, right? Like when we're students, it's all about presenting information and going to class and learning content. But like that's not how we function in society. It's all about appealing to our feelings. Yeah. The whole science of motivation is based on feelings, not thought. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. I mean, your practice, how do you help people think independently and have get and get out of their own data-driven way? I would say I don't have them banish the data in a way because at the end of the day, the data motivates them or is interesting to them. So what I ask them to do is like to put together the numbers, which is important, it's information, but then it's like, well, what is the story that this data tells? Like what is the story that's going to get people excited that's reflective of whatever information you're putting out in the world? And that's usually what gets people motivated and excited. When we think of like transformation and shifting an entire organization, let me ask you this. What do you think is like the biggest hurdle for leaders and making people shift the way they act? Hmm. I think it's fear of the unknown that they have the right people in place or mm-hmm. that they have the right processes. So I think I would say it would be fear. What would you think? That's it. It's fear, anxiety, it's overwhelm. And that's the stuff you have to surmount. Mm-hmm. It's not hammering into people's brains like, unless you follow this direction, you're going to be canned or like, we right. will go under. When you incite fear, it's a short-term pop in eliciting behavioral change, but it's not sustainable. So what we also see, like especially in organizational psychology, is that a lot of leaders will use fear as a tool to get people to shift the way they act. Mm-hmm. And that can be effective, but it's not sustainable. Right. Negative emotions don't catalyze sustainable behavioral change like that's something that we know it has to be like feelings of optimism hope and trust and that's what gets people going and keeps them going right and how would you advise leaders to create those feelings because I 100% agree with you yeah, so this is not one of my ideas. It's something I stole from Cotter again. But he's a good person to steal <laughs> it's a from. Good one to steal. He's like the premier voice in this yeah. stuff. What he proposes is this see, feel, change model. So basically what he argues is that in order for people to get excited about shifting the way they think and act, which is very hard to do, is they have to see what is possible. So that is like inspiring some hope or kind of vision for the future. And then they have to like feel it. So it has to listen to emotional reaction. It can't be cognitive only. It has to be something gut or heart related. So those feelings that we talked about earlier that are positive feelings like hope or trust or excitement or enthusiasm or passion. And then that's when you start to shift things. But like there does need to be a clear path forward. So you can do all the seeing and the feeling that you want, but then you do have to shape the path. And that's the last part. So what I have leaders do is once they've been able to present some sort of visual to their employees. This is what this organization could be. And this is how you're going to feel being part of it. Then you actually need to create a plan over a period of time to make that happen. Because people get very overwhelmed if they don't know 
what change looks like for their day-to-day over a period of time. So the way I typically break it up is by quarters. Like we'll do this 30, 50 initiatives, which is a lot Mm -hmm. over the course of one to two years, but like this is Q1, Q2. Q3. And that's like kind of breaking down the change into bite-sized, more manageable chunks for the the team. But you have to like make people feel something. Absolutely. Otherwise it just falls flat. Or what I'll say, I'm sure you've seen this too, get this like momentary burst of excitement Mm -hmm. and then it just falls apart. (laughs) Yeah. Where, I guess, do you think culture comes from? Do you think it needs to come from the top? Do you think it can be changed from sort of the bottom up? That's a good question. It could go either way, but I think leaders and especially like the founders play a huge role in this, especially when I work on change management stuff or cultural transformation. Like I need the buy-in of the CEO. Mm -hmm. And when I don't, I don't take the job. I'm the same. (laughs) If it's going to be an uphill battle, it's not worth it. I'm sure you've had this situation too. Like, I'm curious. I will work with like amazing executive teams right underneath the CEO, mm-hmm. and they are all bought in, mm-hmm. but that CEO is not bought in, and it's like fighting a wall. Yeah, it's hard. Usually, the people I've worked with, there'd be more that are not bought in than sort of one at the top, but it'll be something that has never happened before. I have a right. couple clients where they have never done leadership training before, right. and they're, you know, everyone at the top is super excited about it. Yet then getting people to make it a priority and taking time out of their busy day to go to a program or to take time for themselves and their own development is just something they're not comfortable doing, even though they're being told and encouraged by senior people to do it. Right. So it's it's hard. Do they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink? <laughs> totally. When you ask, like, what is culture? Like, what defines a culture? Maybe that's something we should talk about. Like, as far as the way I view it, it's a lot of unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with values and, like, the vibe of the workplace. So when I, I'm particularly very sensitive to, like, people's energy. So anytime I walk into a room or even into a workplace, like, you just can feel whether or not a place is a place that either I belong or I don't belong. Yeah. So I think that that's another kind of aspect to pay attention to. Like I will ask, especially when I'm just starting out with a company, is like, what are your unwritten rules? And if you don't know, I'll just ask your people. Mm-hmm. Give me like half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and we will come up with a list of like 50 unwritten rules. I have one client that doesn't allow computers in the room. You can only bring notebooks. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that unwritten rule. Yeah. But it's like, that's not what we do here. Like we do not bring computers into the room. Like it's disrespectful. But if you go to another client of mine who's like a tech company, you're only bringing a computer in the room. So it's like, what are these rules? What's acceptable behavior? What's unacceptable? Yeah. I often ask if I'm doing interviews or, you know, trying to figure out what the culture is. I often ask, what are people talking about at the water cooler? (laughs) What's the chatter? What's the, you know, I think there's two types of culture. There's the corporate culture and Mm -hmm. then there's the employee culture. Mm -hmm. And those two can be different sometimes, right? The corporate cultures from what the founders, the CEO, the senior level people have set or, you know, have the values that are stated. And then the employee culture is really what the employees make of it. And so sometimes those are not aligned and then what happens? I think those are when maybe they call people like you. Or you. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, why do people call us? Maybe we should talk about that. Like what happens when your culture goes south? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I try, I try my hardest to get hired when there are sort of emerging leader issues, aspirational want to invest in our people. There's a great yep. cartoon that I use sort of the basis of creating my company. And it's basically says, the CFO says to the CEO, well, what if we train them and then they leave? 
And then the CEO says to the CFO, but what if we don't and they stay? And so I think the mm. point is, you know, people who are looking for companies who are going to invest in their future. Leaders, even in times of crisis, that right. they need to have people. And people are always going to be the things that sustain companies. And so making people feel good about that, actually giving people skills when they need it because they're moving into bigger roles, I think those are the reasons why. And I try to say, look, for especially for one-on-one executive coaching, like, these are reserved for people that really are going to be your next leaders, not for the people you're about to manage out. Because the minute you start using it as a, you know, dummy school retention right. tool, you, it the whole thing kind of gets a, a very bad reputation, and that's not where I want to be yeah. spending my time. But what about you? Why do you get hired? So usually I was um, thinking about this because it's changed a lot over the last couple of years, but sometimes it's on the back of events, right? So this is something that I think is really important to realize is that at the end of the day, HR people are not trained in culture. That is not a SHRM competency, right? And to think that that is a skill that either head of HR or COO should have is wrong, right? It's its own domain. So usually what ends up happening is that a leadership team will realize that and it's like they don't they realize that they don't have the skills or they don't have the right person in place to make this happen or to help get mobilize their workforce to get to where they need them to go. So that's usually when I get hired. Yeah. It's like they realize like there's no other person to do this crazy work. Yeah, no, for real. I mean, I spent a lot of time inside a big organization where we often were at odds with HR because right. our work was not HR. No. But we would have those discussions of, is this HR's responsibility or the business's responsibility? And now it's fine that many people that hire me are the HR professionals who need help. Right. Because what they're doing is the need to have, and a lot of what we're doing is the nice to have and the you know need to have to get the business to the next level. So I completely agree with you. So the other thing, this is like always part of my pitch when someone's on the fence of hiring me, is that at the end of the day, HR keeps the lights on, yes. which is a great thing to do. If you don't have the lights on, you don't have a business. But what we do, Cam, is move the business forward. Yep. Totally different skill set. Can I use that? Yeah, I'd take love it. That. Steal it. <laughs> You'll close everything. <laughs> Uh, you learn a new thing every day when you do a podcast. <laughs> Love talking to you, Kevin. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> for conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning.